Ladies and gentlemen, this is our final boarding call, and the doors will be closing soon. Hello, my friend, and welcome to the WW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 553. And I'm here once again, not only to help you have the best vacation experiences when you go to the Disney parks, but I also want to bring you a little bit of Disney magic wherever you are with this podcast, my live video broadcast on Facebook every Wednesday night, books, audio tours, videos, special events, and more. Whether you are a first-time visitor or have been to the parks hundreds of times, whether you're planning a vacation or just love the history, details, secrets, and stories, there is something here in the show for you. And every week, I'm going to take you from the parks to the screens and everything in between. And if you're a new listener, please go back and check out some of our old past episodes for interviews, top tens, reviews, and more. And you can subscribe to the podcast in iTunes and find everything over at www.radio.com. So I invite you to join me this week as we board our Walt Disney World Wayback Machine and go way, way back before Walt Disney World. And together, we're going to look at the how, when, and why Disney came to Florida and how it almost wasn't Florida at all. We'll explore the many legends and locations of where this second Disneyland was going to be built, including New Jersey and Canada and the real reasons why they never came to be. We'll then discuss the process of finding Florida, why Orlando might not have been their first choice, and the many factors that led to deciding exactly where the world would be built. I'll then have the answer to our last Walt Disney World trivia question of the week, and I'll pose a new challenge for your chance to win a Disney prize package. Then stay tuned to the end of the show. I'll have more information about our upcoming WDW Radio events and meets of the month, momentum, and more. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. And now, here is Walt Disney. Welcome to a little bit of Florida here in California. This is where the early planning is taking place for our so-called uh, Disney World Project. Now, the purpose of this film is to bring you up to date about some of the plans for Disney World. But before I go into any of the details, I want to say just a word about the site of our Florida project. As you can see on this map, we have a perfect location in Florida, almost in the very center of the state. In fact, we selected this site because it's so easy for tourists and Florida residents to get here by automobile. Now, in larger scale on this map, our Florida land is located partly in Orange County and Osceola County, between the cities of Orlando and Kissimmee. And the important thing is that the Disney World is located 
just a few miles from the crossing point of Interstate 4 and Sunshine State Parkway. Florida's major highways carrying motors east and west and north and south to the center of the state. The sketches and plans you will see today are simply a starting point. Our first overall thinking about Disney World. Everything in this room may change time and time again as we move ahead. But the basic philosophy of what we're planning for Disney World is going to remain very much as it is right now. We know what our goals are. We know what we hope to accomplish. And believe me, it's the most exciting and challenging assignment we've ever tackled at Walt Disney Production. As much as I enjoy speculating and dreaming about the future, I'm equally as fascinated with how we got here, the history of Walt Disney World, and our journey from desolate swampland to this number one vacation destination in the world and truly a place where dreams do come true. And we've all heard about how the world began and since the world began. This week, I want to talk about before the world began, the how, the when, and the why Walt Disney World came to Orlando and some of the many mysteries and misdirections it took to get here. So this week, we're going to maybe ask, why Florida? How did Disney end up in Florida and some of the challenges to start building things here? And a man who also questions why Disney, with the weather getting hotter and love bugs in full Lovin is my friend, raconteur, and many time over published author, Jim Corcus, who, by the way, just happens to have a new book out called The Unofficial Walt Disney World 1971 Companion. My friend, Mr. Corcus, welcome back. Hey, Lute. Thank you for inviting me back. I'm uh, always excited to be on this uh, podcast, and uh, you have some of the... uh, best listeners in the world because they're so interested in uh, uh, history. And, and as we've discussed in the past, that's not always the, the case these days, that people are interested in uh, uh, Disney history. And, and especially Disney itself is constantly uh, moving forward. So it, it's like a flood. Oh my gosh, there's going to be Skyliner gondolas. There's going to be <laughs> Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, there's going to be, uh, they're going to rip up the bricks in front of uh, uh, Magic Kingdom, you know, so there's always something going on, but every now and then, it's nice to go back and uh, uh, reflect on, you know, how did we get here, you know, what what was the foundation, what was all of this to, to get there, and and yes, we're we're approaching the 50th anniversary of uh, uh, Walt Disney World. I, I, I think a lot of people still think of that as, oh, well, that was the new park, you know. And uh, 50 years, 50 I years, can't and it. so um, uh, I looked around, and there really weren't any books that were covering, you know, how did this get started? How did this? develop, why were certain choices made, and all that. And uh, uh, fortunately, uh, uh, since I worked at at Walt Disney World for 15 years, uh, I got a chance at that time to um, 
uh, talk with a, a, a lot of the people uh, who were there in 71 and before, you know, and, and uh, nobody had talked to them. And so they were just really excited to talk to uh, me because I just love listening to, to all of this. And uh, when I worked at Walt Disney World, I also had access to all of the different um, uh, departmental libraries. So I was able to go in and, and, and see documentation and uh, all of this beyond just the, the regular uh, press releases. And uh, it finally occurred to me there might be two or three other people who are interested <laughs> in this. And, you know, I'm certainly not getting uh, uh, any younger. It, it's time to get this information, you know, uh, down, you know, so that, uh, and, and again, I don't have the entire story. You know, Disney history is like this massive jigsaw uh, puzzle. And I, I have, I have a lot of pieces, but I don't have all of the pieces, but, if I put my pieces down, maybe somebody else will say, oh, I have this piece that looks like a duck flying in the sky. That goes right there, you know, and, and we'll get a, a, a fuller uh, uh, perspective uh, well, on well, all of this. But, 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 you know, coming to Florida started almost as soon as Disneyland opened in 55 in, uh, and and you and I have, have, have talked about this, you know, what was Walt thinking? You know, it's hot, it's humid, there's alligators, there's swamps, you know, uh, there's none of the resources that uh, you'd be able to find in, in the uh, Los Angeles uh, area. You know, when, when they came out here, they, they literally had to teach somebody how to do stained glass so that there would be stained glass for the windows in um, Cinderella Castle, you know, because, uh, again, those resources of, of people and techniques and material just didn't I exist. So, so how insane was that to say, yeah, we're going, you know, across the country you know, to the other side of the United States, and, and we're going to build something that is uh, much, much larger than, than, than what we have out here. And, and, that's, and that's always something that, that fascinated me, because we, we've heard stories about, and we'll, we'll touch on some of these things about sort of how we got from point A, Disneyland, to point B here in Orlando. But I always wondered, like, how soon, you know, Walt always being so forward thinking, he was never complacent. He was never sort of satisfied with where he was. He was always looking to where he was going. And I was always curious, like, how soon after Disneyland opened and the pavement dried and the, all the toilets were working and the water fountains were working, was he starting to realize, hey, we need to do something else like this? somewhere mm -hmm. else and that happened very quickly i mean really probably within you know a year year and a half of disneyland opening is when mm -hmm. they start looking elsewhere and obviously florida was not necessarily the first choice there were a lot of other locations both domestically and internationally um, because obviously the disney company was approached by people as opposed to just approaching in terms of where this second disneyland for lack of a better term was going to be well and 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 yeah we'll talk about officially we can pinpoint that 1958 was the year that walt first started considering florida but 
even as soon as Disneyland opened, everybody saw this as an immediate cash cow. And, and so uh, by 1956, he had gotten, you know, uh, uh, from around the world, uh, uh, Egypt, you know, Brazil, Japan. They, they had all written to, uh, you know, uh, the Disney Studios and said, we would like to have a Disneyland here, you know. And, uh, in, in fact, by uh, 1960, there were... Uh, Almost several hundred, you know, places. So you know, you you hear these stories of, oh well, Walt was going to build this in Texas. Walt, well, <laughs> that rumor is people- just you know that rumor is still going around. Like every couple <laughs> of months, I get an email. Hey Lou, I just want to let you know. Don't tell anybody, but it's pretty much confirmed that Disney is building its third theme park here in blank Texas. Yeah. Well, well, what happened? Of course, within within the first few months that. Disneyland was open, Walt, you know, only had enough money for the park. And, and even then, you know, there, there were millions of dollars of unpaid, you know, uh, debt that had to, to be taken care of. And so, you know, that, that's one of the reasons he went to Jack Rather to, to build the Disneyland Hotel. Jack Rather said, you know, if, if Walt had even had two pennies to rub together, he would have built a hotel. But he didn't, so he came to me. And um, popping up around Disneyland were all of these little um, cheap motels and uh, uh, souvenir shops and neon signs and, you know, all of this. And and Walt literally described it as a a second-rate Vegas, you know, that that it was just gaudy and all of this. And, And he hated the idea that that people had to come through all of that to get to Disneyland, and then when they left Disneyland, they had to go through all of that. So he immediately felt, I've got to get more land. And so as Disneyland starts to get, you know, more successful, and he's, he's uh, actually taking money and reinvesting into Disneyland, he's also looking, where can I find, you know, enough room so that not only can I build um, a, an amusement venue, uh, but also have enough land, you know, as a buffer, you know, uh, uh, around that. And, and again, he never wanted to build um, a, uh, a, another uh, uh, Disneyland. He told uh, uh, Marvin Davis, who... Uh, 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 did the layout for Disneyland and then later did the layout for Walt Disney World. He, he told him, he said, why, why would I ever build another Disneyland, you know? D- Disneyland is perfect as it is, you know? Uh, and um, his, uh, Walt's brother Roy said, you know, Walt never liked to, to repeat himself. He, he always wanted to do something different. You know, uh, Walt had that famous phrase, uh, uh, you can't top pigs with pigs, because when uh, Three Little Pigs came out, and it was a huge success financially and 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 uh, critically, uh, and so Walt made three more Three Little Pigs cartoons, because all of the theaters were saying, we want more pigs. People love the pigs. <laughs> Give us, and I, I bet many of our listeners here can't even name 
those, those three uh, cartoons that had the three little pigs and had the big bad wolf and, and, and all of that. And, and Walt at that point realized you can't top pigs with more pigs. You've got to take what you've learned and go on, you know, to another level. You know, it, 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 you know, it, 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 for instance, Walt seriously considered uh, having a string of uh, Circle Vision 360 theaters around the world. And each theater would, would be playing its own uh, particular film, and then that film uh, would then, after a certain period of time, rotate to a, a theater somewhere else. And so Walt looked at building a Circle Vision uh, uh, theater up in Niagara Falls. He looked at one in uh, uh, St. Louis, you know, uh, all of that. Uh, Walt had had more ideas than he <laughs> than he, he had money. Had, uh, <laughs> he had more ideas than he had money do, and time, right? Yeah, to to do uh, uh, any of that. But but again, what people wanted, even when it came to Florida, what people wanted was another. Disneyland. We want another Disneyland, you know. Which, like and, you said, is not what he, and, and, which is not what he was says, setting out to build. build. I won't build another Disneyland as such. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what he wanted to do was he wanted to take what he had learned and, you know, what can we do to ex- expand? And and that's a lot harder than, than you think. You know, I, I talked to... Uh, uh, a couple of the Imagineers who worked on um, the Magic Kingdom, and they said, yeah, Walt said, you know, throw out everything we did at Disneyland and just start fresh and come out with a new... And they said, we tried to do that, but we kept coming back to what Walt had <laughs> come up with, where you have the one entrance and then you have a, you know, a, a center hub that then spokes out to different places, because that was the most efficient. It, it was, uh, you know... Uh, the most guest-friendly, you know, uh, thing, and and you know, why would you have a different Frontierland other than Frontierland? Because you know, people liked Frontierland. So, so you know, it it, it was a lot um, uh, uh, tougher, you know, to reinvent the wheel than uh, than uh, it, it should have been. But but Walt was looking all over the place, you know, where, where, could, where could we do something, you know? And um, as I said, in 1958, he uh, had uh, uh, Harrison Buzz Price do um, a survey, you know, because they were looking for an East Coast area because basically people from the East Coast really didn't come out to, to Disneyland because, remember, we're talking about the mid fifties, early sixties. And so, uh, plane flight wasn't just, uh, airline flight just wasn't as, as common as it, as it is today. And it would have taken an investment of money. And, uh, again, you come out to Disneyland and now what do you do? Well, maybe you go see the orange groves. Maybe you go to the beach, maybe you go to Knott's Berry farm, but, no, you don't. but again, it's, it's really <laughs> no, not don't. a vacation, you know, uh, destination. And so uh, Walt's feeling was, well, if the East Coast won't come out to Disneyland, let's put something out, uh, you know, let's go out to the East Coast and, and, and we'll, we'll do something, you know. And uh, when he moved from ABC to NBC in, uh, in 61, uh, General Starnoff, who was in charge of uh, 
uh, NBC tried to convince Walt, you know, I've got the perfect place for you for the for the next <laughs> Disneyland. You know, and I'm and, laughing because obviously and, I know where. And, and I've even paid for a survey, you know, to, to, to that says yes, this is the perfect place. New Jersey. <laughs> Somehow I can't picture, you know, the next <laughs> Disneyland would be in New Jersey. But um, uh, basically, uh, uh, NBC and Sarnoff had uh, uh, some land there in the, in the uh, uh, Jersey uh, meadows. And uh, Walt, of course, is not going to take other people's uh, word for that. So he has uh, Buzz Price go out. And and uh, survey as well, and uh, Price literally says, "Hey, you know, uh, NBC is wrong. You know, uh, first off, you've got a different demographic of of people. You know, in New York and and uh, New Jersey, most of them are there. You know, going on on business trips. It's not like they're going on a a, a vacation there. And also, you've got weather." So that amusement venue can only operate, you know, 120 days a year. You know, being a California boy, that that was a real shock to me, you know, uh, when I would hear from friends, you know, back east of, oh, yeah, well, this is, I'm working at such an, I'm working at Joyland, I'm working at Funland, and and, and, and we're closing for the winter. What? What are you going to do to earn a living? Well, we'll get another job. And, uh. Well, well, you know um, uh, Jerry Johnson, the, the teacher who works at uh, uh, Buena Vista University in Storm Lake, uh, Iowa. And uh, I've been to the university. They had me up there as a, a speaker doing some presentations and all that. And right next to it, uh, just about 10, maybe 15 minutes away, they have a water park. But it was closed. <laughs> and I said... What was it not? Pot- they said, "Oh well, it'll be open in the summer." I said, "How come it's not open now?" They said, "Well, because winter's coming, and you know, there'll be snow, and nobody wants to go to a water park, and and all of that." And it's it's like, oh, geez, and you know, so when everybody talks about, well, Walt was going to put a dome over, you know, Walt Disney World. Ba- basically, Walt was thinking, what can we do if we're going to go to the East Coast? What can we do to control the uh, uh, climate so that we can operate year-round? You know, th- this doesn't seem to make sense. And so then Walt started to look at uh, uh, other places that, you know, already had, you know, tourists that were coming. And Niagara Falls was one of those. And uh, uh, he looked at the uh, Seagram Tower, which is on the uh, Canadian side, and it's like, you know, there's really just not enough land here, you know. And maybe in the tower, we could put a circle vision theater. Maybe in the tower we could put in Flight to the Moon or something like that. And, and that still didn't work out. And, and NBC, of course, had not given up. Uh, NBC, uh, uh, you know, said, look, look, look. Okay, you, you, don't, like, uh, you don't like New Jersey. Um, uh, okay, we found a better place for you. Palm Beach, Florida, because they had they had connections with um, uh, John D. MacArthur. Uh, he, he was a, a billionaire, you know, from banking and, and all of that, and he had connections with NBC, RCA. 
and he had a lot of uh, land down there in uh, uh, Palm Beach. And it was like, well, okay, you know, that now you're not going to have to worry about the weather. You could you could probably operate, you know, year round. You're not going to have to worry about snow flurries and freezing, you know, in 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 Palm Beach. But um, MacArthur, like a lot of billionaires, was a, a little bit uh, eccentric, and so. You know, it, it was difficult to negotiate with him. And then uh, around this time, Walt's reading these books on uh, urban planning and all this. And, and he's thinking, you know, I don't just want to build a, a, another, you know, theme park. You know, I want to I have it connected to, um, you know, a city and all this. And so he uh, uh, starts uh, seeing if he can negotiate for some additional land. And MacArthur just blows up. You know, he, he's offended that, you know, the, the, all of this was almost done and now the Disneys want more land? All right, you know, you're out of here, buddy. Um, and so uh, Walt, Walt is thinking of all sorts of things. In, in uh, uh, Marceline, Missouri, he had uh, Rush Johnson uh, buy up um, uh, uh hundreds of acres of land around the uh, original Disney farm because Walt was going to uh, open a, a place called Walt Boyhood Farm, which would have uh, been a recreation of, a, of an actual working farm from the turn of the century. And uh, also, you know, a, a, a little town, you know, barber shop and, and, and things like this. Um, and Johnson said, but Walt, this Marceline is just so out of the way, and, and Walt says, "You let me worry about that." When I, when I go on TV and I do those introductions, and I go, "The next time you're in Missouri, make sure you stop by Walt's Boyhood Farm in Marceline, and that'll drive people." Well, Buzz Price did a uh, a, a, a survey and and showed that no, Marceline is so out of the way. And it's so difficult to, to, to get there that, you know, I, this place is not going to be able to turn a profit. And so Walt said, well, we'll just make it nonprofit then, you know. And, and while all of this is going on, St. Louis, St. Louis, Missouri, uh, it comes to uh, uh, Walt because they're going to be celebrating uh, their bicentennial. And uh, they would like Walt to do, you know, some thought some sort of thing, you know, in St. Louis. And, and so this is where, uh, you know, the, uh, St. Louis arch comes from. It's, it, it's, it's to celebrate the bicentennial. That's, that's where their big stadium comes from. And, um, it's where, it's where the, also urban legend comes from, because I think if people hear St. Louis and like, yeah, we know the story, you know, Walt was going to build there, but the only reason why he didn't was because of this, quote, you know, legendary uh, dispute that he had. In, in, encounter with, with Anheuser-Busch. Right, right, about the selling of alcohol in the parks. And that's not, and that's really not the reason why it didn't go through. I mean, Walt had actually found a way to sort of reconcile that issue. So that's really not the reason why this this east coast disneyland was not built in st louis you're absolutely right but again it's such a great story it takes on this life of its own that it keeps on going and going and 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 going and and walt didn't want alcohol 
in his uh, entertainment venues because he felt that alcohol changes the entire tone. It also changes the personality of, 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 of the people who are, who are there. And that's why there was no alcohol at, at Disneyland is because is he saw, you know, it had that effect. It, and Walt's feeling was, no, if you want a drink, that's fine. Just go across the street to the Disneyland Hotel and get a, get a drink. But once you're in the park, you know, I, we don't want people drinking. And, and so for the St. Louis project, which was going to be called Riverfront Square, uh, there was going to be no uh, uh, no drinking. And uh, uh, because, again, the, the same thing. Walt liked to, you know, control the uh, uh, whole environment there uh, for, for that... Uh, uh, to, to happen and what got Walt interested was um, that uh, uh, as part of the bicentennial St. Louis had had set aside this acreage where they were going to create this uh, uh, sort of mall outdoor mall by the uh, by the waterfront that um, you know there'd be there'd be no cars there'd be a uh, there'd be a uh, old-fashioned theater, you know, in 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 the shape of a of a uh, steamboat, a Mississippi paddle wheeler, and and inside they would show uh, silent films during the day, and in the evening they would do live performances of uh, uh, melodramas and and all of that. And and Walt thought, look, you you've got all of this uh, uh, land here, you know. And, and in order for it to uh, uh, work, you know, during the whole uh, um, year, we're going to make this um, uh, enclosed. It's, it's going to be this massive, you know, five-story building that goes on for a couple of blocks. And the five stories weren't just five stories. You know, a story or two of them would have been underground uh, as well so that, you know, you don't have this huge, massive uh, uh, structure there. And, and to get around uh, the alcohol, uh, uh, around the top, there would have been uh, an observation uh, area that would have had restaurants and uh, bars and things like that. And you could access that, and it was separate from the amusement area so it actually and, really it actually really did satisfy all the things that he wanted right it, it was going to be enclosed because it was going to be in those two mm-hmm. city blocks and the, the 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 concern that he had would have been in an area that was separate from the, the the theme park area where he wouldn't have to worry about kids and families maybe being subjected to not that we see it now in, in even with magic kingdom serving alcohol but any of his fears in terms of that overlap were alleviated right and and so if somebody wanted to go from the restaurants and the and the bars and all that into the amusement area they would have to have their hands stamped and that way they could also monitor you know if, if the person had maybe overindulged you know I, because again walt ran into that actually at disneyland you know a lot of people don't realize that uh in the early days of Disneyland, on the other side of the train track where uh, 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 New Orleans Square is now, on the other side of the train track, was an area called Holiday Land, 
which was, uh, you know, the, the big circus tent from the Mickey Mouse uh, Club Circus, and there was a, a volleyball, and there was uh, baseball uh, diamonds and all that. So it, it very much like a park. And, and the whole point of that is that, you know, convention groups or um, uh, company business parties or whatever could be held there. It was called Holiday Land because at Disneyland, every day is a holiday. But again, Holiday Land was separate from Disneyland. So in order to get into Disneyland, you had to buy, you know, an admission and you had to buy a ticket and, and, and whatever. And so uh, that was one of the reasons that Holiday Land, you know, fell apart is, yes, we're going to Disneyland. We're going to Holiday Land. Oh, great, great, great. <laughs> and so you're in Holiday Land, and you can see that Disneyland is just over the train tracks, but you can't get there. And uh, in Holiday Land, um, they did sell beer because Walt felt that beer was part of the experience of a picnic. And so oftentimes some of these people would just get too much beer and they would stumble across the train tracks. You know, it, it never occurred to anybody, my gosh, these are train tracks. You shouldn't be walking over these. Um, they'd stumble across these and end up in Disneyland. And it, if they had stumbled across the train tracks, by the time they got into Disneyland, they were uh, more than a little uh, uh, inebriated. And and so Walt just stopped all of that nonsense. But, yeah, if, if you can control, you know, uh, uh, where the where this is, you know, and and uh, control the the alcohol that's that's being given, it, it makes a, a, a difference. You know, I, I worked at uh, one of the things I did at Walt Disney World is I walked at, worked at Epcot and uh, uh for two of the uh, uh, New Year's celebrations, I had to uh, um, uh, coordinate the uh, special viewing section, you know, for for uh, guests with disabilities and, and things like that. And I saw people around the walkway who, you know, had the lanyards and then had this, uh, what was it, yard long of beer or whatever, you know. and And some of them, you know, just curled up in fetal positions <laughs> on the walkway where I had to phone security to come so that they could be, you know, taken backstage and all that, uh, uh, you know, because he had just celebrated a, a little too much. So, um, I don't know, maybe things are different nowadays, but uh, I remember that. So, so Walt's idea of, you know, controlling all of that it comes from a, a point of, you know, Walt wasn't a teetotaler. It was like, how is this affecting, you know, um, everybody else and, and, and their experience? And so, you know, one of the great things about, and St. Louis, too, we're talking about myths and all of that. You know, one of the myths is, uh, oh, yes, when the, the St. Louis uh, Riverfront Square project, you know, fell apart, then Walt looked elsewhere, and that's when he found Florida. No, he had already found Florida. He had already found Florida, and um, uh, Walt, heaven help us, thought that he could build both the St. Louis uh, Riverfront Square and Walt Disney World at the same time. Well, because I think you have to be, I think 
what one thing people might not understand, Jim, is what he was going to build in St. Louis was not a, a co- carbon copy of Disneyland. And obviously that's not what he originally intended to do in Florida. Yes, he was going to build a Magic Kingdom as a, a secondary, almost tertiary thing to, to what Epcot was going to be. But the St. Louis project was really going to be a, a celebration of St. Louis itself. And, and some of the attractions there were not things that they were, they were not carbon copies of stuff they found in Disneyland. So while there was, you know, in your book, you talk about the Bayou Boat Ride, it was not Pirates of the Caribbean and the Haunted House was not a copy of the Haunted Mansion. These were going to be unique offerings that were going to have a very different, very uh, a story and theme than what guests would have experienced in Disneyland. So theoretically, it could have operated in tandem or parallel with whatever he was going to build in terms of another right. Disneyland uh, elsewhere. Without, be, without being in, in competition. No, but when I, what I'm saying, building at the same time, I'm thinking about the talent. I'm thinking about the money. I'm thinking about resources. You know, and, and, and you're absolutely right. The concept for the... Uh, entertainment complex there in st louis was uh that half of the building would uh celebrate st louis at the turn of the century you know the the 1900s which was uh, uh you, you know a very favorite uh, time period for walt and then the other half uh would celebrate um new orleans before the civil war so around the uh, uh 1850s and you are absolutely right that uh, he had uh, his uh, Imagineers there, let's devise some attractions that could be held in this uh, contained area, you know, and uh, you're absolutely right. Things that are different than Disneyland, but reminiscent of Disneyland. So, yes, there'd be that um, uh, bayou boat ride where you'd go down a waterfall but it was more of a, a nature, uh, you know, uh, experience, and you'd see audio animatronic alligators and all that, and then you'd get out of that by going up the waterfall. And uh, this is all before uh, at Pirates of the Caribbean at, at Disneyland, and, and then he came up with the idea of, uh, you know, one of the most famous pirates in New Orleans is uh, Jean Lafitte, and so there would be an adventure ride where you would see pirates. And then he thought, wait a minute, what if we combine that with the Bayou Boat Ride, you know? And you're right, the Haunted uh, House. And again, remember, the Haunted Mansion didn't show up at Disneyland until 1969. And we're talking 1963, 1964 right here. And so the Haunted House would have a... Uh, a stretching room which would take guests to a lower uh, floor, and you'd have uh, the the uh, the rooms of illusion, which, which sound an awful lot to me like you know Rolly Crump's idea mm-hmm. for you know Museum of the Weird there, um, and uh, there there would be a uh, uh, one of the restaurants would actually be a full size steamboat in an indoor lake. You know, and it would have uh, live shows, and uh, uh, there would be an opera house that would have uh, a, a show similar to Golden Horseshoe Review because Walt wanted to have the French can-can dancers because he knew that was an audience uh, favorite, but it would be uh, themed to St. Louis. And he tentatively 
tentatively on, on the blueprints, you know, there's only one set of, of blueprints, and it, it, it sold in, in 2015 for $27,000. This was done up by Marvin, and it's now in a private collection. So, you know, nobody, lots of luck for anybody to ever take a look at that and see what some of that is. But on, the, on those blueprints, he had tentatively put in uh, two Fantasyland dark rides. One was going to be... Um, uh, Peter Pan's Flight, because that was the most popular Disneyland dark ride. And then the other was either going to be Snow White's Adventures or Pinocchio. And this is before Pinocchio w- w- was at uh, uh, Disneyland. And then he thought about doing maybe a, a Davy Crockett and Mike Fink you know, ride. And then he was going to have a theater uh, that, in terms of layout, was very similar to the Country Bear Jamboree where there would be, you know, the main stage, and then on the sides, there would be those smaller stages that, you know, rotated. So you could have actually two scenes instead of one. And uh, you're going to have figures from um, uh, Missouri uh, history, like uh, John Philip Sousa and Charles Lindbergh, you know, the spirit of St. Louis, uh, for, for, for that to happen. And, and this is... You know, all pretty uh, elaborate uh, here, and it, it's like, oh my gosh! Well, this sounds like a, a done deal. Well, it was, except what made it fall apart, as, as many Disney deals do, is the money. Who's going to pay? Right? Uh, Walt felt that Disney would supply the show. You know. That means they'd design and build the rides, uh, the attractions. They'd, um, you know, uh, train the train the staff, uh, all of this type of uh, stuff. Um, they'd run the operation. But what St. Louis would have to do is they would have to not only build the shell of the building, but also the interior. You know, the interior infrastructure so that Disney could just come in and do the rides. They wouldn't have to do all of that stuff. And uh, St. Louis would have to handle, you know, uh, the parking, you know, extend uh, and also extend the roadways. Uh, You know, this is one of the reasons that things like uh, uh, Port Disney in Long Beach and uh, Westcott in Anaheim fell apart. Same reason is because the cities involved didn't want to contribute, even though, uh, you know, having a Disney venue there was going to bring in millions, you know, in terms of tax dollars and, you know, create hundreds of new jobs. You know, uh, the cities, you know, how can we, uh, you know, devote this money to... uh, you know, for for Long Beach, uh, the Disney company wanted them to expand the Long Beach freeway, you know, and, and have off-ramps that went right from the freeway into the uh, parking garage that they had there. And, and Long Beach, you know, I, well, Disney shouldn't be asking us to do stuff like that. And even in Marceline, for Walt's uh, boyhood uh, 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 farm, they were making arrangements so that... Um, uh, the state of Missouri would extend uh, the roadway 
uh, from Marceline up to a, a main uh, uh, cross uh, crossroads that 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 went to different parts of the the state. So anyway, so St. I, I Louis just, falls I, apart because Disney says, "Yes, we'll do this, but you have to do this." And then what Disney would do is, once the venue was successful, they would have in the contract is they would reimburse uh, St. Louis and, in effect, buy back everything, you know, so that Disney then owned everything. And, Jim, I- I'm not saying that this is why it was done, but hindsight being 2020, this was brilliant on Disney's part because what it does is, one, it either, A, gets St. Louis to fully fund what they want to build so that they can go ahead and build Florida at the same time and not have to worry mm-hmm. about uh, uh, being so right. much in the red trying to build too. And if it doesn't work, as is what happened, it sends a message to whether it's Orlando, Ocala, Miami, wherever, saying, hey, if you want us to come to your state, to your city, this is what the ask is going to be. And I think that's why Florida said, yeah, Basically, anything you want, you've got our full cooperation. And more importantly, you know, as we get closer to what <laughs> what they ended up asking for, you want to build a nuclear power plant? Have yourself at it. You want to be your own semi-quasi-government entity? God bless you. Here you go. So <laughs> it was a, an absolute win-win from the Disney side. I, I think you are right on the nose. I, th- I think you put your finger right on that and... And I think you're right that uh, uh, Orlando saw what was happening up there in uh, uh, St. Louis because, um, uh, again, what happened is, is, uh, what is it, about July 1965 or so is is when Disney said, no, well, we're not coming to St. Louis because, you know, we we said that this might be a a difficult challenge and we might not be able to address all of those challenges. So they're doing that in July. And then in November, they're announcing, hey, we're coming to Orlando, and you are absolutely right. You, you have the governor, you have the legislature, you know, whatever you want, <laughs> whatever you want, we'll, we'll make this happen. You know, can you make this happen over, actually, they wanted it to open the next year, you know, and, and, and uh, Walt was saying, well, it, it will, you know, once we get the approvals, you know, it, it, it'll take maybe up to three years for us to get all of this, you know, up and running uh, in in place. But you're absolutely right. Uh, uh, and and even when the uh, uh, governor uh, changed from uh, Burns to to Kirk, Kirk, the same thing. You know, yes, we're, we're you want this, you got this. You know. And 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 you're right about the nuclear power plant. That that's part of the uh, uh, agreement in the Reedy Creek uh, Improvement District that stuff is that Disney has uh, the authority and permission to build a nuclear power plant. And uh, of course, that was in relationship to you know you're going to be building a city here, you know. And so a lot of times uh, uh, some people argue that um, uh, Reedy Creek Improvement District shouldn't exist anymore because the uh, uh, the city was never built, you know? 
and uh, we can go into Reedy Creek Improvement District. That's a that's a whole another story. In <laughs> fact, I devote an entire chapter in the book to explaining, you know, uh, all of that because a lot of people are very confused about what that is. But yes, you're absolutely right. I think what happened in St. Louis uh, sent that signal to Orlando of, you know, it, it doesn't make any difference. Uh, you know, if we've bought land, if we've did, we we're willing to walk away. We're willing to walk away. You know, how how badly do you do you want us uh, uh, here? You know, and 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 that of course was Michael Eisner's famous phrase when he was announcing the Disney decade, and he said they're going to be doing another Disney park in Southern California, and he says we're either going to go you know with Long Beach or with Anaheim. Whichever city wants us more. And, it, and look, it makes the courtship process very easily if one person says, hey, we are going to give you anything and everything you want. You have – you can't – 100% cooperation, there's nowhere else to go. Like that clearly makes the – for Orlando, they went all in. in ter- I mean, for Florida, mm-hmm. goes all in in terms of you don't need to look anywhere else because you can't get anything more than 100% cooperation. Well, and, 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 and again – you know, uh, I, I hope we'll be talking about Roy Disney as well, too, because I don't feel he gets, you know, uh, enough uh, recognition and, and appreciation. You know, when Walt passed away and Roy was taking over, you know, the, the Walt Disney World uh, uh, project, you know, he had executives coming to him and, and say, well, Roy, any, anything you, you want, you know, we, we can get because they want us so badly. And uh, Roy says, we're not going to do that because we may need to come back to them again in the future. And a good deal is a good deal for everyone. You know, and and, and so here's this guy who has this reputation as a, uh, you know, a a tough businessman. And he was he was he he would not put up with any uh, uh, nonsense uh, at all. You know, it, it had to be clear and it had to be fair and it had to be honest and and all of that. But um, he was not going to take advantage of uh, of Orlando. A lot of people think Disney did take advantage of Orlando. But on, on the other hand, you know, you take a look at uh, um, all the advantages that came from having Disney out in Orlando. And, and again, it, it's the vacation destination of the world. You know? Well, but look, of... before we even get to Orlando, you know, obviously the, the mm-hmm. ultimate choice, that was not the only consideration in Florida. You know, Palm Beach was one of the places that was looked at very, very closely and even more close to Orlando, Lake Buena Vista, Ocala mm-hmm. was almost the home of Walt Disney World as well. That, that, that's right, because, uh, uh, and again, Walt was very familiar with this area because, uh, uh, believe it or not, his, his mom and dad got uh, married out here. And, and, uh, um, in, and uh, uh, in fact, the, the uh, uh, first marriage certificate ever issued in, uh, uh, in uh, Kismet, which no longer exists, and... Um, uh, his dad uh, had a uh, orange grove. He uh, he ran the uh, uh, Halifax Hotel in in Daytona Beach for for a while, and all this all be- all before they you know uh, moved back uh, 
to uh, uh, Chicago there, and, and but uh, uh, some of Walt's uh, uh, relatives on on his mother's side, you know, uh, stayed out here and were school teachers and uh, uh, school principal and uh, things like that, and supposedly. Supposedly, and 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 again, this is one of the the frustrating things, you know, when you're dealing with Disney history, is you're looking for, you know, uh, documentation. You're looking for, um, um, you know, the the smoking guns and all that. And and you know, the time has passed so much that, uh, you know, uh, sometimes you just can't. Uh, 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 find that, you know, uh, material, you know, but, uh, the story that kept cropping up, even though you can't verify it, is that Walt and Roy sometimes, um, uh, during their summer vacation from school would come down here and, uh, would, uh, uh fish in the o- Ocala National Forest, which was, uh, where, um, you know, some of their relatives were uh, uh, living, you know. Uh, but again, you go through, and so much happened in Walt's life, you know, he, he doesn't talk about uh, that, although he talks about Marceline, which he only lived in for five years, but you think uh, he, he spent his entire life there. But yeah, they, they looked at Ocala, and, and, and a lot of it becomes, you know, where can we get land? Where can we get enough land? And, you know, when we talk about why Florida and why Orlando, you know, it is that, you know, Walt wanted it, you know, far enough up the coast and far enough inland so that you're not dealing with hurricanes. And he also wanted it far enough inland so that it's not that near the beach because he didn't want the beach you know, uh, competing with the entertainment venue, and he didn't want, you know, uh, people in bathing suits, you know, walking (laughs) into the park, dripping bathing suits into the park. Um, And uh, also in Orlando, uh, you know, they they were building uh, the roadways, so you have right there uh, that crossroads where you have a road that goes north-south and then another goes east-west, so you can connect both coasts and you can uh, connect the entire state. And the feeling was, because in those days, the big um, tourist draw was Miami. Mm -hmm. And so what Walt was thinking was, because people were in their cars. After World War II, that was it. People wanted to go out in in cars, you know. And, And again, a, a plane flight was, was uh, uh, fairly rare. And so Walt's feeling was, we'll get them as they're driving down to Miami, and we'll get them when they're driving back up, you know? So this is, this is, this is the place to be. Well, I think uh, it also made sense, too, Jim, because while it was, look, what this area looks like now is very different than it looked like in the mid-60s. It was mm-hmm. very agricultural. We'll st- we're still seeing some of those orange groves, even in this area, just you know, north and west of Magic Kingdom. Those orange groves that were there from day one are starting to disappear and become residential communities and, and tourist locations. But there was 
a very small, quote, you know, basic bit of tourism here with some of the zoos and Gatorlands and, and some of the things. So there was... Wikiwachi Springs. Black I remember Tower, coming to Wikiwachi as a kid. Right. You know, Marine yeah, Land. And, 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 and all of these were called roadside attractions because basically they were along the side of the road. And so as people were driving down that main thoroughfare, you see this sign, you know, world's largest ball of string. <laughs> and so, you know, you want to pull off to, to to go see that right and and uh, 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 do all of that so so there were those roadside uh, uh, attractions and again Florida was the place where people would come down to drive because the weather was generally you know pretty nice and in some ways um, especially since you had a, a limited vacation it's you know sort of exotic. You know, you got St. Augustine, you know, the oldest city in 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 uh, uh, the United States. You know, uh, you can go see uh, uh, Ponce de Leon's uh, Fountain of Youth. You know, and you can go see alligators. There were there were so many alligator farms. You know, not just Gatorland, but you know they were all uh, uh, throughout there. And and not only that, but you could buy live gators that you could mail to a friend. You know. <laughs> I, I I'm I, I I'm looking forward to that day where you know I can just stop by the side of the road and pack up an alligator and mail it to Lou Mangello and his family. You know, <laughs> well, I mean, uh, even places like Cypress Gardens, and I remember as a kid, you know, because we drove from New Jersey, even if. Mm-hmm. Walt Disney wasn't our final destination. We hit a lot of these places. My dad was so, you know, Clark Griswold. Like, you well, let's go see the fourth largest ball of twine. Isn't? <laughs> wouldn't you rather do that instead of going to Magic Kingdom? But we did. We went to, you know, like Marie That's Land. Probably and, Silver Springs with the right. glass bottom boat ride. Well, and, and, this is where Tarzan was filmed. But, yeah. But places like Cypress Gardens were smart enough to realize that Walt Disney World coming here was not going to be, yes, it, it's competition, but it's also complimentary. Like, they, they were very welcoming of Disney because they realized that people who were coming to Walt Disney World might look around to see what else was in the area and may take a day trip over to mm-hmm. things like Cypress Gardens, which is now Legoland. Right, well, and, and, and uh, it, again, what uh, uh, happens there is that uh, when... Uh, Walt Disney uh, World opens. Y- you're absolutely right. The the attendance at these places uh, all soar. You know, uh, it, it, not just that, but uh, uh, you know, Cape Kennedy and and all even Silver Springs for crying out with it with its uh, glass bottom uh, uh, boat ride and, and Cypress Gardens. You're absolutely uh, uh, right. It it was just you know, uh, huge, you know, with their water ski shows and uh, all of that. And you you can still go, you can still go to Gatorland. You want to see a little taste, you want to get a little taste of what old Florida amusement parks are like? Go spend the day at Gatorland. You know, I will My son loves it. My son loves it there. I I love taking... uh, when guests, uh, when friends come out here, I, I love taking them to Gatorland because Gatorland is a good half-day attraction, and it's exotic. You you walk through this big concrete and steel <laughs> gator mouth, 
you know. And um, it's very low tech. It is a very low tech experience. <laughs> well, you can you can still see gator wrestling. Yep. You can still see the jumperoo where alligators, <laughs> you know, leap out of the pond to to grab hold of uh, uh, dead chickens that are that are on this clothesline hanging over the uh, the pond. Uh, you know, it, uh, it, it really is. Yeah. A, a glimpse into, uh, uh, old Florida there. And, and, and in fact, there's even a little restaurant there where you yeah. can, uh, uh, eat, eat, uh, <laughs> alligator, which, which really does cha- taste like chicken, but I, but I think it tastes like chicken because alligators eat, eat chicken. chicken. Right. You know, so I think, so when you get gator nuggets, you know, and, and all of this, and it's like, well, this really does taste like chicken. And, and I remember telling my mom and dad, you know, if it tastes like chicken, why don't we just get chicken? <laughs> why are we getting gator? And I think, I think even over at Legoland, I, I, the last time I was – isn't there still a section of Cypress Gardens that is still open yes. that has uh, the um... – Yes, that still has the gardens. And then what, what they've also done is they built things – uh, with Legos, because one of the uh, um, uh, most photographed things is you had these southern bells and these big mm-hmm. hoop skirts and all that. Well, now they have Lego recreations of them that you can get a picture of. And I don't know if they still have it, but when it became Legoland, they did have a water ski show, which was you know the most popular thing uh, uh, that Dick Pope uh, uh, put in there at, at but they had people dressed up as Lego characters doing right, the right. doing the water ski show, you know. And uh, but, but again, you know, Disney doesn't want you doing that. That's that's why they built <laughs> four theme parks and two water parks and a downtown shopping area and and all of that. It's like you don't want to go to Church Street Station. No. You don't want to go to. You know? I think I think we as locals sometimes, if you want to be a little curious, you want to be a little adventurous, you want to sort of see, you know, what it was. Especially some of these places that have been around. You know, I, I've taken my kids for uh, nostalgic listen, I, reasons. I, I have friends who refuse to go to Crossroads because it's not Disney. <laughs> I, literally, this is this is serious. You know, where do you want to eat? Well, let's eat at, at, at Crossroads. You know, because there's a, a a big variety and it, it's less expensive, you know, than, than Disney Springs. Well, but that's not Disney. Jim, I, I, I as said, a kid, well, I was... a time, you know, Disney <laughs> owned all of that yeah. land. And then, well, that area is going to change, too. The crossroads is going to, um, yeah, a lot it, of the crossroads is going away. by the end of this year, beginning of next year. And, and I'm, I'm going to be sorry to uh, uh, see it go. And, and I'm wondering where some of those uh, restaurants and businesses are going to uh, 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 relocate. You know, and, and when I came out in 95, the McDonald's there was actually a Disney museum. They had uh, plexiglass uh, display areas of uh, Disneyana, comic books and toys. And, no kidding. And things like, yeah, but what happened is, this is why you got to think these things through, Um the sun would come in and the heat would come in and it faded, you know, uh, a, a, a lot of that uh, stuff there. So, you know, uh, when they rehabbed that McDonald's, all of that left. But, oh, they had Disney posters and, and things like that. And there was a Disney um, 
uh, uh, gift shop uh, uh, over there. Now it's all just restaurants, but there was a Disney uh, uh, gift shop over there where you could buy, you know, Disney gifts that you couldn't get, you know, in the park. Jim Corcus, I still believe, and I believe I am not alone, that you can take a little corner of Disney Springs or what I believe will eventually be an expansion of Disney Springs and put a little Disney museum there. Jim Corcus should be the curator, obviously. You should. It should be like a Jim Corcus audio animatronic figure that just follows you around <laughs> and tells you all these stories. But imagine having a little bit of Walt Disney World history. Think about what you had mm-hmm. over at One Man's Dream at a place that people can go and visit. And of course, let's be realistic, of course there's going to be a gift shop there. We, we see this renewed sense of nostalgia with Orange Bird and everything else that's old mm-hmm. is, is new again. I think it would make it would be such an attractor for guests, and you know you would certainly be the the best person to do it because I do believe in my little nostalgic heart of hearts, Jim Corcus, that a lot of people who come to Walt Disney World now, especially first timers, don't know a lot about the history, don't know a lot about the stories, which is why I love doing these. We literally are just in this hour that we've been talking. Scratching the circuit, sur- scratching the circus, scratching, and scratching the, the surface. Sur- of, the, the surface. Yeah, we, we we haven't even gotten to uh, uh, Walt Disney World opening because because there's a, a whole set of stories, you know, uh, before we even uh, uh, get there. There is and, so and, much. And again, you know, even even though my book is uh, over 300 pages, I had at least 300 pages that I had to leave. You know. On um, uh, cutting room floor. On, on the floor, I had to remove <laughs> in, in order just so you have something that is manageable, you know, uh, to get through. Because I, I wanted to cover not just the uh, uh, creation of Walt Disney World. I wanted to cover, you know, what each of the lands, you know, uh, were like when they opened in '71. Because there were attractions and things there that you know, don't even exist uh, anymore. And then I had to have chapters to cover, you know, the resort hotels and then the recreation and the <laughs> bob along boats and, uh, you know, uh, all of that. And, you know, chapters devoted to, to some of the people who were involved. Because, again, the story of Walt Disney World back in 1971 and even today is the story of the people. Who, who are working there. Oftentimes they don't get the, the recognition or, or the credit, but uh, they're the ones who have created, you know, uh, that, that magic uh, for us. That, that's why I always try to mention the names of artists and Imagineers and who, whoever, entertainers, whatever, who are involved, because... Um, that's really the magic. The, the, the magic really is uh, the, the, the people there, and, and, and they make a, a difference. I, I, I think your listeners may agree with me that, you know, if you run into a, a, a cast member who really does have that uh, pixie dust, it just makes it a whole different experience. It well, just really, it just reminds you, why Disney is different than right, I was gonna say than, than than anything else, you know, and and why you know even though you had these popular attractions, and even after Walt Disney World opened, 
you know, there were attractions that opened, like Splendid China and uh, uh, Baseball and Boardwalk, you know, all of these that, you know, and, and none of them And some survived. that never came to be. Like, remember Vitaland? Remember the, the talk about Vitaland? Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I remember when there was going to be the uh, David Copperfield Magic Underground. Underground, yeah. Yeah, Underground. I, you know, that, that, that was going to be uh, so cool. It, it, it was announced there was going to be a Roy Rogers Western Land. And my gosh, I'm a huge Roy Rogers fan. I got to meet Roy Rogers in in, in person. He, he was he was one of my heroes when I I, I was a, a a kid there. And and so you know, there's a there's a ton of these things, you know. But Disney is the one uh, that that survives. So you know, uh, Circus World seems to be you know an asterisk, you know. Yeah. Uh, in there, uh, they were going to build Hurricane World. They was going to, um, <laughs> you know, a little England, you know, because many of the uh, um, uh, tourists that come over come over from uh, uh, the UK. And and I don't well, you know had if you China. Why not have to to Xanadu, the house yeah. of the future? There, yeah, if you had it, since you had Splendid China, you might as well have Little England too. So. <laughs> But I think, Jim, I think next time we do this, because as we count down to the anniversary of Walt Disney World, I think we can talk about some of the decisions, some of the deception, a little bit of the mystery that Mm -hmm. uh, was associated with it, as well as, you know, with dreams coming true, sometimes there are a few nightmares as well, and we'll certainly talk about some of the people. Well, again... You know, I, I think what happened is to the because I interviewed a lot of uh, people because y- you want to get it, you know, from the people who were there. You know, you, you still have to go through and verify because people's memories are fluid. Um, but um, you know, it, most of them told me, you know, we just figured, well, we've already built Disneyland. This is going to be easy. We just build it a- again out here. But, again, you know, the weather is different. The demographics are, are different. Marty Scalar told me one of the false assumptions we had was that everybody who lived in Florida was retired. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and so suddenly, that, and, and again, as I said, suddenly you can't get things, you know? And, and so you have California workers, and they want Coors beer, and so... Coors beer isn't sold, you know, east of the Rockies. And so what happened is in California, they would load up uh, Coors beer into these crates that were marked um, Peter Pan's flight uh, uh, (laughs) mechanics, and they would ship them out by truck out here. So there'd be Coors beer to give, you know, to, to help some of these people get through just getting the uh, the uh, uh, work done, you know. And uh, so, yeah, and even hiring uh, uh, people for the preview center, they said, you know, we, we had uh, young ladies show up and some of them had never worn shoes before. Hmm. Because they had grown up, you know, on the orange grove, right. you know, picking the fruit, all of that, you know, that type of thing. So they'd grown up on on a farm, you know. And so it was a very unsophisticated uh, 
uh, area. You know, a, a lot of people don't realize why they showed the uh, Epcot film where they did at a theater was because there was no movie theater in Orlando. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> there literally was nowhere else to show it except going to, to Winter Park. It, it, so. That's it. Yeah, it, it, it was a brand new theater that had just opened two years earlier, and so that was the only theater that was available and that could seat the number of people who would come in. So, yeah, we, we've got plenty of stories. And, in fact, maybe some of your listeners have some... some uh, uh, questions, or maybe they even have some memories. Maybe they were even around, you know, in in seventy one. And and again, you you were absolutely right. Orlando was uh, an agricultural community. You could go down the street and you'd see cows, not just orange groves. You'd see cows and things like that. You still can if you not very and, and, far and, and, from, and from now, Magic and Kingdom. Now <laughs> it has become totally. Yeah. devoted to hospitality. So uh, unless you're working at an amusement venue or you're working at a restaurant or a hotel, there really aren't any jobs in Orlando. You know, that, that, that's what that is. It's always so much fun talking to, to you, Lou, first off, because you're so knowledgeable, but also um, because you just let me go on and on and on. No, <laughs> because, because you're just so passionate and excited about these things, just like... Just like, just like I am, you know, uh, uh, history is still very much a living thing, and uh, history is not just um, uh, names and, and 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 dates and and milestones and it's it's people. It's the story of people, and and that's what makes it interesting. And there are plenty more stories. Uh, uh, to share and 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 I hope people will go to Amazon.com or ThemeParkPress.com and pick up the uh, unofficial Walt Disney World 1971 companion because uh, it's filled with with stories of how the world uh, uh, began and uh, I was just so fortunate and uh, you know to have talked with with so many of these people and I really do feel the obligation that I need to share their stories with other with other people and, and especially those who enjoy it and hopefully your listeners do as well. So thank you very much and, and, and I'll look forward to coming back again. We will definitely do this again. I very much appreciate you, my friend. And again, I'll put a link in this week's show notes to all of Jim Corcus's many books that you can find. And I would love to hear from you sharing your stories and conversation. Come over to Facebook. If you go to www.com slash community, you can be part of the conversation there. And again, I'll also put links to Jim's books in there as well. My friend, Jim Corcus, thank you so much for being here. I look forward to picking up where we leave off with some additional stories about the beginnings of Walt Disney World soon. Thank you, Lou, and to all your listeners. May all your Disney dreams come true. It's time for our Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week, where I invite you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World's history or see how well you pay attention to the details, sometimes in what you see, sometimes in what you hear, maybe in what you eat. And if you think you know the answer, you can enter via our online form for a chance to win a Disney Prize package. 
Of course, before we get to this week's question, we're going to go back, review last week's, and select our winner. So on our last show, we were talking about space, and I talked about how in 1986, to celebrate the grand opening of the Star Tours attraction in Disneyland, Disney had a TV special that starred Gil Gerard, he was Buck Rogers, Ernie Reyes Jr., and other celebrities, including C-3PO and R2-D2, who started to rap, etc. Anyway, your question last week was to tell me what was the name of this TV special called, and I even gave you more than just a hint. I told you exactly where to find it other than the Google. If you went back to show number 68, I did a very detailed DSI, Disney Scene Investigation, of Star Tours, including the history of the attraction, the story, the queue, the shop, and maybe little predictions of what the future might hold. Don't know how right or wrong I might have been. Look, it was episode 68. It was like 10 years ago. Anyway, your question was to tell me what was it called? And as of many of you got it correct or got very creative, as always, with your answers, the correct answer was a vacation in space. So I took all the correct answers, randomly selected one, and again, you were playing for all of my digital products, which is my 102 Ways to Save Money for that Walt Disney World book, all seven of my virtual audio walking tours of Magic Kingdom, both of which, by the way, you can still find on the WW Radio Shop and in iTunes, a WDW Radio vinyl sticker, and a pop socket for your phone. And last week's winner, randomly selected, is Melissa Mendoza. So, Melissa, congratulations. You used the form. I have your shipping information. I will get your package out to you right away. If you played last week and didn't win, don't sweat it, because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. So we'll go from Hollywood Studios to Magic Kingdom. One of my favorite parts of the day and the evening is not just lunch and dinner and snack time and everything in between, but I still enjoy the nighttime fireworks shows and castle projection shows. And currently, Happily Ever After is playing in Magic Kingdom. And I want you to tell me what company sponsors Magic Kingdom's Happily Ever After fireworks show. You have until 11.59 p.m. on Sunday, May 26th to go to www.radio.com, click on this week's podcast, use the form there, because again, you're playing not just for the, the books, the audio tours, the vinyl sticker, and pop socket, but this week I will throw in a WW Radio shirt as well. So good luck and have fun. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you so very much for taking the time to tune in this and every week. I want you to be part of the community and conversation, so please go over to www.radio.com slash community and join our Box People group on Facebook. Big thanks, huge thanks, monstrous thanks once again to everyone who is part of the WW Radio Nation family. I sincerely appreciate your friendship and your help and your love, support, and I love being able to give back to you and say thank you each and every month. I want to thank some of the new members who've joined the hundreds of you who are part of the Nation family, including Eric Hawks, Wade Tonkin, Courtney Peterman, Eric Grimes, Keith Groshans, and Greg Wilder. To find out how you can not only help the show, but also will receive exclusive rewards every month, including scavenger hunts. We have a private Facebook group, magic band covers, logo gear, t-shirts, monthly care packages from Walt Disney World, exclusive live video group calls, early access to special events, and lots more. Visit www.radio.com support. And don't forget that not only is it completely optional, but it's a great way for you to help show your support for the show 
And don't forget that a portion of the proceeds of your contributions do go to the Dream Team Project to benefit the Make-A-Wish Foundation of America. Speaking of community, this show is not just for you, but by you and something I want to do with you. So I want to hear from you. You can connect with me on social. I am at Lou Mangiello on Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, Facebook. Again, don't forget to join the Box People group. If you have a question you want me to answer on the air, you can email me, lou at www.radio.com or call the voicemail at 407-900-9391 with a question, a comment, or just a hello from the parks. Of course, nothing. Nothing beats a handshake and a hug. That is why I continue to do monthly meetups in Walt Disney World. Stay tuned for the meet location and time for June. I don't have an exact date as yet. It'll probably be mid to late in the month. But if you go to the events page at www.radio.com slash events, you can find out not only about upcoming meets of the month, but other special events, group adventures by Disney, group cruises. We still have one spot left for our trip to Japan via Adventures by Disney this October. We have a few spots left for our cruise out of New Orleans in February 2019, and I have other events and announcements coming very soon. Also, I have other meetups while I'm not necessarily in Walt Disney World, but on the road as I travel to speak and consult. And speaking of speaking, if you go to lumangelo.com, you can find out how I can speak to your conference, to your school, to your business, or I can even work with you directly about turning your passion into your profession with personal mentoring and small group coaching. Our Momentum Weekend Retreat in Walt Disney World for June is currently sold out. However, there are still tickets available and I'm still offering early bird pricing on our Momentum Weekend Workshop September 28th and 29th here in Walt Disney World. Again, to find out more about any ways that I can try and help you, visit lumangelo.com. Thanks as always to Becky Mankin and the entire team at Mouse Fan Travel. Whether you're going to World Land, Cruise Line, Adventures by Disney, or any destination on the planet, she and her team of agents can help you get the best possible prices, all available discounts, all at no cost to you, but more importantly, with an incredible level of personal service that is their hallmark. Visit celebrationspress.com to find out how you can subscribe to Celebrations Magazine. And as always, my friend, and you are my friend, whether we have met yet or not, all I ask is that if you like this show, please help spread the word. Let others know about it. Tweet out that you're listening to this or your favorite episode. Share it on Facebook. And if you can, take 30 seconds to rate and review the show over on iTunes. I want to thank some recent reviewers like Ryan, the UPS carrier, who says, I'm a happier postal worker. With only 12 days left until my Walt Disney World first experience, I can't help but feel lose happy personality getting you ready for your day. While I travel for long periods every day being a carrier, you feel like you always have a friend with you. With all the amazing guests and food reviews, you can't forget about that and all the up-to-date news. It's a perfect blend of all things Disney that you can hear so that you can have the best day ever. Thank you, Ryan from Indiana. Inflatabunny says, I am the girl with the Disney tattoo. I can't say enough about how much I adore, in all caps, I have to say it with emphasis, Lou and WDW Radio. I've learned so much and have taken my Disney dorkdom to a whole new level. I have a long commute and I definitely would not have made it without Lou and his amazing guests, his brilliant trivia, his thoughtful interviews, and his mouth-wateringly on-point food reviews. Thank you, Lou. Thank you, Inflata Bunny with your Disney tattoo. And Deepot86 says, this podcast may change your life, dot, 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 for the better. It's tough to describe how subscribing to this podcast has changed my life but there's no denying it has. I can thank WW Radio for little things like listening to an episode and getting me out of a glum mood all the way to getting a chance to stand in Walt Disney's office 
and tour Walt Disney Imagineering. Lou's tagline of we're friends whether we've met yet or not is absolutely true. Being a listener, by being a listener to the podcast, you're joining a community that leaves the things that divide us behind to celebrate our love of all things Disney. You'll laugh, you'll cry, hopefully not too much crying, you'll make new friends, you'll learn things you never knew, and yes, you will get hungry hearing about the snacks and dining opportunities Disney has to offer, so I urge you to click subscribe, join us for live broadcasts on Wednesday night, or better yet, come to a WW Radio event and meet Lou in person. I promise you'll never meet a nicer guy. David, obviously I know who you are. I am incredibly choked up and touched and honored, my friend. You and Inflata Bunny and Ryan and everybody else who you guys make up this incredible community. I just built the clubhouse, right? You guys are the ones that populate it. I am incredibly, incredibly grateful to you and for you. And I appreciate you taking just a couple of minutes to put a review in iTunes. And you know, when I talk about my gratitude, I want you to understand how much you mean to me and how sincere I am. And that's why I reach out and talk about finding ways to try and help you because you have given me the gift of getting to do what I love every day and share it with you. And if you aren't doing what you love every day, you're wasting what little time you have. And if I can help you in some small or big way, do that. Please, whether it's momentum, an email, a message, whatever it might be, I would love to try and help you however I can. And it's a way for me to repay the gifts that you have given me and hopefully uh, have a positive impact on you and your life beyond the confines of the show and the community. But with that, I hope that this is your best week ever. I love you. I appreciate you. So until next time, see ya. Hey, Lou, it's Christine Morrison from Flowertown, PA. I just had to call and tell you that I just had a client drop their doggies off at my house, and she works on film in California, and she had a sweatshirt on that had, like, the Boba Fett helmet, and it said season one. And I said, oh, I love your sweatshirt. She goes, oh, yeah, I'm working on this new Star Wars series. And I said, The Mandalorian? And she goes, yeah. She goes, I can't believe you knew that. So I have to pick her brain about this. I forget exactly what she's doing for the show, but how awesome is that? So when she comes to pick up, I'm going to have to have a conversation about her role in the production of The Mandalorian. So um, pretty awesome, but I pass it along because I know how excited everybody is for that. So anyway, have a great day. It's Friday morning. Uh, Make somebody smile. It's going to be a really long weekend here at my house. Um, We have 10 dogs staying here this weekend with my business that I have. Um, So I'm doing a lot of cleaning and organizing. But I'm listening to your podcast, which gives me the um, encouragement to keep moving forward and keeps me entertained while I take care of all the craziness. So everybody have a wonderful weekend, and I'll see you all in the box on Wednesday night. Bye-bye. Hey, Lou, this is Clint Jensen. Give me a call thanking you for the episode, or the multiple episodes on uh, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Uh, Getting super excited to go see it. Hopefully everybody is uh, the same. Uh, The detail that you guys described just only gets me more excited. Thank you for all you do, and uh, everybody enjoy their week. Thanks. Bye-bye.
Hi, Lou. It's Elizabeth from Massachusetts. It is 3.03 on Tuesday, May 14th, and I'm driving home from work, sadly, after arriving home last night from Walt Disney World. Um, yeah, my cheerleading team was finally there this past weekend, competing at the D2 Summit at the ESPN Wide World of Sports. Congrats to any listeners who had kids, um, either coaching or actually competing um, and a part of the program. All of the gyms and all of the teams looked amazing. Um, and like I said before on the voicemail, no one does cheerleading competitions quite like the partnership between Disney and Varsity. So it was an amazing and magical experience. Um, one thing I would like to say, I've been to Crystal Palace hundreds of times in my life, or it feels that way at least, and Ian, the manager there, was amazing getting all 50 people that were going together on a reservation, sitting near each other, getting a picture with all the characters together. Um, so I wanted to give him a shout out because um, he was awesome. And as always, the cast members there went through the roof to make our experience um, magical. Um, just listened to your Disney and Space podcast, which was great, as they always are. So thanks for doing that. I think people sometimes don't know that connection. Um, and it's just, yeah, good to have a whole segment on it. So, yeah, I'm sadly home in the rain in Massachusetts after having spent five beautiful days in the Florida sun. So just thought I'd call and let you know how the weekend was, and I'm looking forward to the next show. Thanks for all you do. Bye. Hey, Lou. Brian from St. Augustine. Just finished your um, Space and Disney uh, podcast, and you went and talked about the flight of the Navigator. Now, I'm 34 years old. I definitely remember this movie growing up. Um, had Fred Savage in it. And uh, and I had heard, and I looked into it, that a piece of the prop of the Flight of the Navigator is in Magic Kingdom over in Tomorrowland with um, by the cooling station over there. Um, where they have the uh, Disney Vacation Club, I think it is, um, area. So it's that spaceship. They just added a couple of little things on top of it. And uh, now I had heard that that was the prop, and I kind of looked into it, and it definitely is. So I thought that was pretty cool. So that yeah, was pretty cool. I liked your, uh, liked the episode. Keep it up, brother. Hope to meet you soon. Talk to you later. Bye. Hey, Lou and uh, WDW Radio Nation. This is uh, Kent Jensen just calling in with uh, excitement about Galaxy's Edge. Now that we've got our our date finally, so we'll be in there uh, on the 12th from 8 till noon. And hopefully a lot of other WDW Radio Nation have got their reservations now that they've opened up the system. So, Hope all uh, get to enjoy the new land in Disneyland, and can't wait to go and see it in Disney World, too. Thanks for all you do. Bye-bye. Hi, Lou. It's Elizabeth from Massachusetts. It is a very rainy morning at 6.55 um, on Tuesday, April 30th. 
I have nonstop been thinking about Avengers Endgame now for about four days, and I finally just had to call in. Um, so without giving away anything to the best of my ability, and or you might not even be able to play this voicemail, which is totally fine, but I think it's a advantage you to know because I knew you would appreciate it anyway. Um, in the theater I was in, there's a moment towards the end of the movie where a certain character um, of many gets together, and the whole theater is on the edge of our seats just waiting for, you know, this moment to erupt. And this small little boy towards the front of the theater yelled out in complete silence, Wakanda forever. And it was the absolute cutest and most magical moment. And I know a lot of people who are Marvel fans aren't Disney fans, but I know that Walt would have been proud and so happy to know that they were creating something that people of all ages and from all walks of life are sitting in a theater and running around on Thursday and Friday nights at midnight to go and watch. Um, so the stories are just as magical as Walt would have loved them. Good versus evil, uh, family, friends, all of those themes were there. Um, I cried, I laughed, and that moment just set me way over the edge. And it was something that I know that Walt would have been proud of, that everyone at Marvel would have been proud of, and I wish that I <laughs> had worked on the movie so that I could have heard a kid, you know, shout that out in the middle of the theater. Um, so it brought me to tears. But I wanted to share that. Um, I hope everyone's enjoyed it. I hope everyone loved it as much as I did. Um, yeah, can't wait to hear you talk about it hopefully on the show. Also, your Star Wars uh, episode 551 I just finished listening to. Uh, so good. I'm so excited for Galaxy's Edge. Can't wait. So I'll talk to you guys later. Have a super-duper awesome, magical, Disney-filled day um, on these this rainy Tuesday morning in Massachusetts. Bye. Good morning, Lee Mondello. It's Gabby Naldo from Columbia, Maryland. I'm actually calling from Anaheim. I am currently in downtown Disney after spending uh, the weekend at Disneyland and California Adventure. And I am actually walking to um, Pop-Up Disney, the Mickey Celebration exhibit. Um, super excited, and I'll let you know how it goes. Have a great day. Bye. Hello, Lou Mangiello. It's Darlene Nagy from West Seneca, New York. I'm calling in with a countdown. I have 17 days until I get back to Florida and go to Flower and Garden for the last day. You have 265 days until the New Orleans Adventure and Cruise out of there, and you have 149 days until the Japan Disney Adventures by Disney. Oh, my gosh. I, oh, I'm so excited for that trip to see what you get Becky to eat and show us and tell us about all of the adventures you do while you're in Japan. Um, have a wonderful, magical weekend, everyone. And it's finally sunny in West Seneca, New York. Love and hugs.